welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi-weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well-being from members of the voice community. My guest this week is Emily Fawkes, director of a music for well-being charity, Kaimaz Music, based in Cornwall, UK. Outside of these COVID times, Emily would normally be out managing practitioners, working in school settings in pupil referral units and mental health units. Emily is a practitioner and researcher, a freelance trainer for Trauma-Informed Schools UK and other individual projects. With her partner Jane, they also run their business Sounds Like Healing within the studio named the Meadow Healing Centre. They both offer individual treatments with Reiki healing, massage therapy, chair massage and sound baths. Emily is a multifaceted voice user herself, a singer, a helping practitioner, a researcher and trainer. Emily is passionate about sharing knowledge, creating the Singing for Health network that provides resources, intelligence such as research summaries, for those working as helping practitioners, choir leaders and singing teachers who haven't got the time or inclination to sift through endless research, but who would greatly benefit from understanding the research findings and how things are developing in the vocal health, mental health and wellbeing communities. So I'd like to welcome Emily to the show. And before I ask my usual first question, which is about describing the journey with your voice, I'm really interested for Emily to describe the path that she's on at the moment. I I guess I started on my path to singing for health when I saw an advert on Facebook for singing leaders who were interested in becoming singing for lung health leaders have some free training uh, with the British Lung Foundation. So I, I, I applied and I'd already been involved in running community choirs and, you know, singing for wellbeing. But this was the first thing that I saw that was very specifically about targeting a health condition so people with respiratory conditions so I applied and um, went through quite a grueling application process um, interviewed and and anyway got got a place on the training and what that also gave me was some funding to start a group so I had the the, the training paid for and then a small amount of funding to kick, kick start running a group which we did and um, it was very successful and and then I think I probably was involved in my um, PG cert. So through voice workshop with Debbie Winter, um, I applied, um, started the the PG cert program, and found that my my interest was very much in singing and voice for health and well-being and healing. And so all my assignments and all my research was focused around that. And I, what I found kind of quite early on was that there was there was a growing amount of evidence that singing can promote health and well-being and that singing can release endorphins and endorphins are our natural painkiller they help us to to manage pain it's an evolutionary neurotransmitter a chemical that that helps us but i couldn't find really any studies or programs or initiatives that were using singing to to help with pain mm. um, so i just saw a real natural fit there um, and so one of my research projects was to to run a, a, a pilot for people to self-refer if they identified as having living with chronic pain. And the sort of initial findings from that very small study were very positive and very encouraging. And so I had 
the opportunity to present that research at uh, the VoiceGeek conference. As a result of that, was then invited to Snape Maltings for a week-long residency to develop this idea further. And so um, I was joined by my partner, Jane, is a sound therapist. And so we've kind of really now developed this model, which isn't just about singing. Singing is kind of the, the core activity, if you like. But our sessions and our model includes mindfulness. I'm, I'm trained as a mindfulness teacher, mindfulness, relaxation, sound therapy, breathing exercises, voice work, movement, singing, you know, there's it's it's, mm. it's kind of it's wrapped up in this lovely blend of loveliness. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's really it's such a pleasure to to do, and we've you know we've worked together to really refine this model and obviously adjusting it for the different groups that we work with. But um, I took my research to our hospital to the NHS Trust and presented it, and was really lucky to to secure their support and uh, agreement to fund a further pilot. So on the residency at Snape Maltings, we also had, so myself and my partner, and we also had a clinical psychologist from from the hospital, from the NHS, who joined us, and a a researcher who works in the musculoskeletal department within research at the hospital. So a really multidisciplinary team um, came together to spend a week in the beautiful, beautiful surroundings in Suffolk. And we were able to test out our model further. Uh, and we were able to work with a group of patients from an Ipswich surgery. So we just did one session, mm. just like a taster session uh, with these patients who were just really quite emotional about it. You know, when, when we asked what they currently access to help with their pain they just said they'd just given pills mm. they just prescribed medication you know we had one chap who was just he was just overwhelmed and just in tears that there was something else you know that, that could make him feel better and, and we just it was wonderful but we also felt you know really awful that we just were only giving <clears throat> them a little taster and then and then not able to to offer them any more so we were lucky enough to secure this funding and support from the NHS to run another pilot that we would research more robustly Mm. so we had to go through the ethics process to get support to to have it signed off as a piece of research and then the idea was to then run this 10-week program that complements the existing pain management program because already the NHS do run a a program a 10-week pain management program is that based with music and sound again or is it something no, different no no so it's more about um well helping people to understand what pain is and helping them to find strategies to manage their pain uh, it's but it's based on um acceptance um, mm. therapy and mindfulness techniques so the reason for having Isla with us the clinical psychologist is because she delivers that program for the NHS so we wanted to make sure that we were designing something that complemented but didn't replicate what's already offered so this all took quite a lot of time because going through the ethics process takes time and we were just at the point of recruiting participants and unfortunately we found ourselves in a global pandemic yeah and and couldn't couldn't go ahead so 
we've kind of sort of frozen in time a little bit with that project but it's still it's still very much committed to yes. by the NHS and in fact next week Jane and I are, are doing we're offering a an online taster session for other staff within the NHS. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, because at the moment it's just the two, our two partners that came with us that, that really know what we do. Um, so we've put together a, a menu of our potential services that we could offer, not just in the pain clinic, but across the hospital. Mm. So they've invited a few different key staff members from the NHS to join our taster session and then from there, um, we're hoping that we're going to be able to work more across the hospital and work with different different groups, or groups or one to one. So we've, we're really lucky because we found the right people. And that's the thing. That's mm. always the thing, isn't it? It's finding the right people who just kind of have got that open mindedness to just have a go with something that might be a little bit different, especially now in the aftermath of of covid well in you know it's not even over yet it's still it's still probably going to continue for a while but i think the impact on not just patients but staff as well mm. within the nhs so the fact that we could be there as a resource to to help you know across across staff and patients and across across different departments so so yeah we're really hoping that that will that will be positive yes Fingers crossed, it'll all, you know, it's just, we need the world to sort of turn in a similar way to what it used to, but I hope we grow from what's happened as well, just in terms, I think there's a lot of new things that that people have found. A lot of people that were really resistant to working online in the past have suddenly realised that that's got a value. Uh, I've been, I've yeah. been resistant, yeah. I was resistant. And in fact, you know, early on in lockdown, I, I saw everybody else around me just jumping straight to it and mm. getting straight online and I just thought I don't know if I can do this I, I really don't but I at that point we'd got um the singing for lung health group w- was continuing that was the only group that we'd got at that time and I just thought we can't not give them something but we were we were lucky with them because they're an existing group they were very forgiving yes you know, they were, <laughs> And it's new. It was new to lots of people at the beginning, wasn't it? Just even using an online platform, it was. Yeah. Oh, how do I do this? And I think I most people know now. It's kind of easy to just get involved. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so luckily, we'd already got this lovely group who have been together for a couple of years, and they were willing to give it a go. And and actually, between us, we 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 devised um, an online protocol. So a, a kind of a, a, an agreement between us of how how we would work using zoom mm. so we all kind of signed up to that and quite quickly got into the swing of it and I, th- I think they just they really appreciated having that as a as a lifeline and it was the you know the highlight of their week absolutely to, be able to do it and although they missed and we all missed being able to actually sing together and hear each other and have harmonies actually it it didn't really matter and we, we, we're carrying on on you know on online for as long as really particularly with the respiratory group because how vulnerable they are um but it's yeah it's been amazing um but the real test came when um when we set up a brand new group for my final ma project which i i had to do a work-based learning project and i remember writing to debbie saying but i'm not going to be doing any any work to do a work-based learning project i don't know what i'm going to do 
before I'd got to grips with the idea that I could do it on Zoom. Mm. So uh, there was a bit of panic going on, thinking I'm not going to be able to finish my MA. Um, And then I decided that I would and that I would do it online. So I ran a, well, it was nine weeks in the end, a mindfulness and singing program for people with anxiety and or depression. Mm. So it was a mental health project and people were referred from the GP surgery so we're working in close partnership with the social prescribing initiative that's brilliant so um these were yeah they were all all apart from one came uh, referred from social prescribers or the or the GP surgery all identifying as having anxiety or depression and obviously it was exacerbated by lockdown yes yes very very difficult for people that are already suffering with mental health issues right absolutely yeah. absolutely so this was a real challenge because I I didn't know them we didn't know each other they didn't really know what to expect and so what I decided to do with my partner who helps me run the sessions is that we set up an individual zoom session with everybody before we before we started the group brilliant and I think that was absolutely fundamental to the success because we just had a little sort of half an hour with everybody just to meet each other to explain how it was going to work to really you know we'd we had written it in the welcome pack that we they weren't going to be able to hear other people you know that we wouldn't be able to sing together so we wanted to make that really clear um and we got a chance to make sure that the technology was all working and you know just really really make sure they knew what they were getting involved in um and I think that just really that really helped because then when we got to session one it was almost an instant gelling of yes. the group. And they became so open with each other. It was incredible. It, it was incredible the bond that, that emerged quite quickly from a group that hadn't met face yes. to face. And it's, what a wonderful lifeline for all of these people. But also seeing a room of people that feel the same way as them that's that brings a sense I think of comfort that oh I'm not alone in this yeah absolutely um and so we um obviously because this was my MA project I I tracked the progress and so we used a couple of um NHS recognized measurement tools for measuring anxiety and depression and well-being and overall the results showed a positive move in all of those areas so a reduction in anxiety a reduction in depression and improvements in well-being across across the board and actually three of the participants said that if it had been a face-to-face group they wouldn't have come yes of course I mean that's yeah that makes complete sense so this this online platform being so accessible especially you know if there's any other issues agoraphobia all sorts of things where people won't want to go out it's ideal brilliant that's right that's right so um that but that was quite um I hadn't really expected that so mm. it was it was really quite moving to hear that 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 people felt that they were able to be at home and to to log on to an online session but they wouldn't have left the house to come to yeah and with this group many of them had other health conditions alongside which were probably contributing to the mental health challenges that they were having mm. so you know they were physically held back as well but to to leave the house and to come to a session one of them said that she absolutely would not have joined a choir but after a few weeks she she then said actually 
I think I might be able to join a choir now. Uh, And another one who's, um, you know, really struggles with leaving the house actually said that she she would come if and when we do become a face-to-face group, that she would come. And she said she really struggles with groups. Mm. Um, But we saw that kind of really improving over the weeks and she became really settled in the group. So So, brilliant. Yeah. It's been a really, really kind of eye-opening and very moving um, project to be involved in. Um, And luckily we've got funding to continue it. That's amazing. That's awesome. So now we know know a lot more about what you do and I know there are other strings to your bow and Reiki and, 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 you know, other sort of complementary therapies and things that that you do. But I'd love to ask you about your relationship with your voice. Um, just in terms of, you know, how you would describe the journey. Were you, did you sing when you were growing up? That sort of thing. What's your background? I did. I loved singing. And uh, probably I've got such memories of being in the car and having my Walkman on and <laughs> yeah. singing along to Kylie Minogue and Madonna. <laughs> yeah. and, and my brother just really telling me off. Oh, you God. know, really, he just hated me singing. He hated it so much. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, but I mean, my parents were both both very musical my dad had perfect pitch um, wow you know he was a singer as well so yeah I always sang I had singing lessons at school my degree was in performing arts but my major was actually in dance because dance was always my other passion so um, dance was my major at university yeah and uh, and then I think well I, I worked in London I lived and worked in London for a really long time I worked for the for youth music the National Foundation for Youth Music in a kind of um, program management role, mm. and I didn't, I didn't sing, I just didn't sing really very much. And I, then I think we, somebody started a youth music office staff choir, and I started to kind of find that passion again for for singing, um, not just on my own, you know. Yes. Um, but then, uh, sort of, my mid to late twenties, I lost my dad really suddenly. I'm sorry. Um, and uh, it quite, it shut things down for me, um, mm. and I I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't sing for for quite some time afterwards, because music was such a an important part of his life, and because it's so moving, yeah. And the voice is so you know it's so powerful for that. I just shut down, um, and then I I met my partner, and she's a singer. And I moved to Cornwall and uh, I wouldn't sing in front of her. <laughs> I just I just couldn't. I just felt so completely shut down and, and closed off and yeah. I just couldn't. Um, but she sang in the Eden choirs. The Eden project is quite near to where we live. And she sang in the Eden choir. And I sort of started to think, oh, I kind of really want to do that. And then uh, eventually, yeah, did did kind of pluck up the courage and I joined the Eden choir and it really got me singing again and and enjoying that and then I kind of grew grew my confidence with my own voice and then the the, after several years of singing with the Eden choir it it's it closed it finished it shut Ah. the the choir leader decided she didn't want to do it anymore and within that time I'd also joined our local community choir and had taken on a um, an assistant leadership role and I suddenly found myself you know, helping to lead the choir, which I never would have thought I would ever do in a million years. <laughs> and then when the Eden Choir finished, people in the choir approached me and Jane and said, could you, would you run a choir? Would you, would you set one up so we can carry on singing together? So that's what we did. And I kind of found myself, that was it. I was, I was in it and found a real flair and love and passion for 
arranging music so we did all of our own arrangements wonderful um and yeah just I never knew that that was something that I could do yeah harmonies and, oh. and do that yeah but yeah we've, we've managed to keep that going for six years and Fantastic. um yeah and I guess I've when I'm standing in front of a group and I'm in empowering them to sing, I don't have a kind of self-consciousness about my voice. And same when I'm using it in a healing capacity as well. So voice for healing work, in sound baths, when we're doing chanting and mantras and toning, I, I don't, you know, I'm just very open and free. Mm. Um, but when it comes to me performing and it's my voice performing, that's when I, that's when the anxiety kind of kicks in and the uh, become self-conscious. I sat in on a, a session that you ran last month where you shared a lot of the work that you had done with younger children who had suffered trauma in some way and how working with sort of movement and games and, and voice exercises and that that just sounded amazing. I was, my you know, most of the time was just in awe of what an amazing project to have done and how you've helped and transformed lives with this this kind of work is is amazing you it's the it's what you've learned from and how you know when you go through those experiences how that then informs what you want to do next and I'm just wondering now what what, what might be happening with that kind of work with um younger people with the, with the younger people yeah I mean that's um in terms of our charity Kaima's Music most of our work still is with children and young people and we are a trauma and mental health informed organisation so that kind of underpins our practice. So our work is really about improving well-being and working alongside and working with co-producing, working with what's in the room, the, the, the child's interests. So it's not it's nowhere near what you might find in a traditional sort of singing lesson or mm. music tuition. It's very intuitive. It's very yeah, person-led, person-centered. And um, we're working creatively to support children and young people with their mental health. And really at the center of that, it's about relationship. Mm. That's the key. It's about, it's about making that connection with that child, young person, adult, whoever yes. you're working with it's it's you can't move anywhere and and really until you've got that relationship and that safety because you can't you can't be playful you can't be playful or be free in your voice if if there's anxiety if there's if you're not feeling safe yes yeah um and so the work that I did this was for my MA was um with some children that had had significant trauma in their lives and I worked using mostly voice but also movement and mm. games and other musical instruments drumming rhythm is very powerful in terms of its ability to help regulate and so we're helping children to rebuild neural pathways in their brains that have been perhaps missed out on um, from uh, early early experiences they've just not had that that chance to build the, the frontal lobes of the brain so we do this through play through the relationship through being able to empathize with them and to help them to find ways to express and that's often through creativity mm. through voice whether it's through singing or just through making sounds with their voice I had a child who was throwing um small animals I, I take a whole load of things with me to the sessions small stuffed animals being one of them and just throwing them across the room and allowing his voice to just 
follow and yes you know there's such a, a connection between our our voice and our bodies that it's we, we can't use one in isolation so the fact that he was able to express through his body allowed his voice to to come out to express um, and another girl I was working with she was in her briefing from the teachers they they just told me that she was so loud that they're constantly trying to quieten her down and actually what she needs to do is to let that out mm. and so she'd come to me and she would and and it was done in a contained way and when she was able to to do that to express herself she was then able to to regulate and to be able to sing and to be able to be calm and to more cognitive function um so yeah it was it was about singing but it was also really interesting what I was experiencing just through the use of the voice what these children and young people were telling me through their voices yeah and then working with that it's incredible work Emily brilliant I mean just in terms of giving them new skills that they can take away with them and having other ways to, you know, self-manage what, what what's going on within themselves. It's incredible. Yes, because for many children who have had adverse childhood experiences, they've missed out on that opportunity to learn about how to regulate, mm. how to engage their, their frontal lobes if they're, they're underdeveloped and how to, how to regulate themselves, how to manage their emotions. And they need to learn that from somebody. Yes. And they need to be able to co-regulate with somebody else before they can then do it for themselves so that was a big part of of you know what what I was doing in in that work and that work continues yes and and it's continuing through the the work itself and also through training that I'm um, providing for singing and, and voice practitioners yeah and hopefully more broadly for music practitioners just to become more trauma and mental health informed. Yes, exactly. It's having that awareness because like you said, I mean, in these conditions, you're, you're, you've got a, a background of, of each participant and, and which helps inform you. Um, but if someone's coming in for a singing lesson or something, you don't necessarily have that information. You just learn as you go if their issues come up, you know. Yes. So. Yes. But being able to, to recognise and, you know some of the some of the symptoms of yeah. trauma um, and being able to then know some of the things that you could do mm. to help that that's um, very valuable mm. so is there anything that you that you know now that you wish you'd learned earlier <laughs> well all of, all of it I mean it's I mean it's we're just constantly learning aren't we yeah and I love that I love you know I love I love that I've got into research and I love that my work sits across education, health, healing. Mm. You know, I, I just I love that I, I can just dip into, you know, all of that lovely spectrum of of offerings. Certainly for me in the last 10 years of living in Cornwall, I think I've expanded so much in terms of, you know, what I know and and maybe that's also to do with my age as well you know um I think life experience it all adds up it does (laughs) it does so yeah just I like to I'm a bit of a magpie I like to collect ah yes I've met a few a few few fellow magpies I think it it is it makes complete sense I mean you just from anything you you take what's valuable and and you can use and and pass on and I just love that you come from a place of wanting to help people I think that's a, a really nice place to be in as a as a human isn't it you know to be here and to be a, a helping practitioner in any form I think is a, a valuable mm. life 
So what do you find most valuable in caring for your own voice? You've got such a, a sweet voice. I, I, I love the sound of your talking voice. I haven't heard you sing, really, but just it's very gently and, and soothing. I think your voice is soothing. Oh, thank you. So, <laughs> um, but do you, do you have a, a particular sort of way of looking after it or you just trust it's going to be there every morning? Um, well, I, I, um, I'm a big fan of SOVTs and doing my straw, straw yes. work. I've usually got, you know, my biodegradable straws yes. to hand. Um, yeah, so I do, yeah, I do, I do make sure that I do that. And I'm, I'm very conscious of breath work as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, really working with my breathing to help regulate. Yes. <laughs> Especially if we get the yeah. jitters. I do, I do, and I've I've had I've had to go on the radio a few times, and um, uh, been told I've got a good radio voice. I hate hearing myself back. I, I know probably most people say that, but yeah. I really love the mindfulness project that I've just the mindfulness training that I've just done, mm. and found a real uh, natural. I've just felt very natural with being able to lead meditations. Yes. I've just found that my confidence has really grown with it. When we first started running sound baths, gosh, about four years ago, I would do a little bit at the beginning, but now I've I've kind of, I've really grown with it. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I love, I love doing that. I love offering the guided meditation and then the, the voice for healing work. Uh, it's nice. With... The work that you've done within sound healing, can you think of it like what the most profound kind of result has been? Like, you know, you must have people just surprise you with their um, perhaps their release or, or what their response is to that kind of healing. Uh, are there any stories that spring to mind that you'd like to share about that work? Well, very recently, we during lockdown, we decided to um, have a morning mantra practice. And so you traditionally you chant, a, a, you repeat the same mantra for a 40 day period. And so we ended up doing two, two mantras and did 80 days straight uh, of every morning. Um, but we didn't just do the mantra. We did, I did a little bit of mindfulness and guided meditation with Jane using the singing bowls, mm. a little bit of drumming, a few of the instruments, not all of the instruments, but a few and just a very gentle kind of warming up it to prepare people into then chanting because as you know if you're using it 108 times we were repeating mm. a mantra it's a, it's a it's a long commitment so without doing a, a kind of traditional warm-up that you would do in a singing lesson or, or a choir yeah, yeah people were entering into it in a, in a safe uh, you know I hate to say that but that they were looking after themselves and looking after their voices because eight thirty in the morning, for some of them, it was the first time that they'd used their voice, mm. so it it was kind of a gentle thing. But the first forty day practice that we did was the um, mantra for removing obstacles, Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha. So it was, um, yeah, it was a, it was a really lovely mantra to start with, considering we were in a global pandemic, and you know obstacles was something that we were all facing, and uh, so. We had people joining us from sometimes across three or four different time zones. Uh, there were a handful of people that actually were with us every single morning all the way through. And some of the emails that we got and the, the responses that we got were just 
incredible. There's a saying in, in sound healing that it's the sound plus your intention and that's where the healing happens. So we would always invite people to really think about their specific intention and imagine and visualise themselves there. So imagining, not thinking about the obstacles, but imagining themselves beyond the obstacles, imagining what that feels like, what it looks like. And so having that really in your mind while you're repeating the, the mantra. And we, we did, we had some incredible, incredibly moving feedback from people that just it was just yeah it was it was amazing um we, we just didn't expect because we just we just started it on our own as our own morning practice and then I was doing it as part of my mindfulness training and then to to hear this feedback yes that it was having such an in, such an impact in people's lives and that they were feeling empowered that they were feeling so much better so much m more able to cope We've run um, mantra and chanting sessions in person as well and, and again had some quite profound experiences. Obviously when you're in the room together you've got that power of all the voices together and uh, just hearing all the, the different colours of the voices and the way that it blends and sometimes you can be chanting or toning just with a small group of people and it can sound like hundreds of people. Yes. We get all the harmonics and things ringing in the room, and yeah. wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. it is. It's yeah, it's quite profound, really. Okay, so I'm going to ask you one that's a little bit more philosophical, and we only got a few questions to go. Emily, what does your voice mean to you? Oh, uh, my voice means expression. Yeah. Um, connection yes the way to connect with others sometimes I I like to be quiet and not use my voice okay I enjoy silence as well yeah I like to be economical with my voice I like to <laughs> um I'm always very thoughtful about what I'm what I want to say and how I want to say it and considered that's how people have described me considered are there voices in this world that inspire you I love Karen Carpenter oh gosh yes I just really adore her sound I used to try and mimic mimic her me too <laughs> yeah my nan said oh you should go on stars in their eyes <laughs> oh wonderful what was your favorite Carpenter song to sing um Goodbye to Love, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love harmony, so I'm a big fan of folk and country and bluegrass. Well, for me, absolutely, it's the Indigo Girls. I just think they are incredible songwriters. Oh, absolutely. And the harmonies, yeah. I just, yeah, I absolutely, I was meant to see them a couple of weekends ago. And in fact, I, I think I said earlier that um, after my dad died, I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't sing. I could, I just couldn't do anything really to do with music. But actually the Indigo Girls came over and I just thought I've got to go and see them. And it was the first, the first time that I'd engaged again with, with listening to music. Oh, what, and, a, uh, what a bang to get you back into it. I know, I know. And actually, after that gig, I met Emily. <gasps> really? Oh, my yeah. God, how exciting. You've got to tell me all about this. I know, 
I know. Well, um, it sounds a bit stalkerish, but I followed her to the Weatherspoons around the corner. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And how and, was she uh, in person? Well, I was so incredibly overwhelmed and um, being economical with my words again. <laughs> I don't, just, I um, I just, we just had a moment where we just, we just looked at each other and I just said, thank you. And I think she just knew. Yeah. I just, I didn't need to say anything. It was just, it, that was, it was that. Wow. You know, I could have, I could have said more. I could have, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think because it meant so much, because the Indigo Girls, their, their music had just, it eased me back in. It was the only thing I could listen to for, yeah. for months. That I couldn't listen to anything else, but I could, I could listen to the Indigo Girls. It just had such... It, it meant so much and I just I couldn't even find the words to to even begin to express that but I I got a sense that she kind of understood she got yeah she kind of got yeah it. yeah they're up there aren't they and I I mean the the work that they've done within their music over the years I've I've followed them I, I got into them in the um kind of early 90s and uh, it was a friend at drama school actually who'd studied in New York who kind of had this CD collection she thinks there was only maybe two or three albums at that stage and um, I, I, again, I was just pulled in by the harmonies and the um, expression and, and what they were singing about and all that, you know, I was like, I love these girls. And even though maybe what I also really love is that you wouldn't necessarily say that either of their voices are trained voices and I train no. singers. And I love that because actually it's more about the message, the communication, Absolutely. the activism, the, the, the telling the stories through song and music, which I've always really loved too. Mm. Yes. In fact, they've both had uh solo careers as well yes and, and released albums individually and it, it just doesn't quite do it's it not the me. same yeah yeah so I think there's just something really magic about the way that they they sing together and how they express their their words I mean this yeah the songwriting is incredible have you got any favorites what would be your favorite go girls tracks um uh, power of two is really amazing beautiful um oh and I did when I saw them once I called out a request and they played it oh <gasps> But I can't remember what it was. It might well have been that one. So yeah, hugely inspiring, really, and yeah, probably kind of got me into arranging and writing myself, really. Brilliant. So I'm in a trio, and we've we've um, written and performed our songs at festivals and, and the original uh, music, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And earlier cool. this year, we were. In fact, we we ended up recording our vocals during lockdown in our hallway and anyway so we're on an album it's a kind of um a funk uh yeah it was it was number one in juno charts the juno juno i've heard of that yeah yeah so it was number one in that and and we've had a few plays on like local radio stations and it's so cool so what what so you said it was funk music what what what's happening yeah a bit of sort of reggae-ish and well actually Jane my partner kind of wrote most of the words and melodies and then myself and Joe our other singer we kind of arranged it together we work very you know intuitively and and sometimes do work with discordant sounds that kind of end ending up sound sounding really good yes um I, I love all that I love kind of crunchy you know crunchy crunchy sounds yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's another yeah. texture in life isn't it we do need a bit of crunch sometimes absolutely and we do you know lots of experimentation in our in our choir as well our singing group you know sort of creating vocal soundscapes and you know just experimenting with the voice you know not just doing kind of what you'd expect to do but um yeah some of them kind of struggle a little bit with it but 
we had one of our members of our choir died during lockdown. Oh gosh. Um, it wasn't COVID. She had cancer, but it was all very um, sort of quick and horrible at the end. Um, yeah. And we weren't able to meet and be together, but we we did record a, a song, rem- you know, remotely, uh, virtually. So sort of in her memory. Part, and then we, we put it together and it was played at the funeral. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, another another example of how singing and, you know, brings people yes. together. Yes. The importance of that and how important it was in her life you know so it was lovely to be able to do that that's really wonderful and it must have been so appreciated by the family as well a lovely thing to do so before we wrap up emily can i ask you to just maybe tell me a bit more about your future plans so well, i know that we're all in a bit of a pickle and we don't know <clears throat> quite when we're going to be picking things up again but i'd love mm. to hear more about your singing for health network idea what, what what's the future in, involved with this for you yeah so um we were really lucky to secure some funding um, just before lockdown, um, about £50,000 towards supporting Singing for Health. Luckily, the funders, the, which is the Reaching Communities programme from the big lottery, the lottery um, funding, have been really flexible and said that we can use the funding to to do whatever we feel is needed to do to support people. Amazing. So part part of that funding is to support our Singing for Health programme in Cornwall, where we're working with the Social Prescribing Initiative. So we've got the respiratory group, we've got the mental health group. Next week we're starting the fibromyalgia group. And then we'll also be um, starting a group for people with multiple sclerosis. So that's on that's on the horizon to start those groups initially on Zoom and then hopefully at some point we'll be able to move those into face to face groups. But my real interest has really grown over the last few years in research and in making research more accessible to practitioners. Mm. So we started a, th- this idea of a singing for health network in Cornwall, reaching out to practitioners who their their initial feedback was oh my goodness this this is such a brilliant idea often they're working in isolation they're not attached to an organization they're not really connected to research that's emerging and they haven't got time to to sift through it or to read great long research reports so the idea of the network is to provide a an umbrella if you like of a platform to bring together singing for health resources intelligence and to be able to provide research summaries yes so that people can access research more more easily more, more quickly to eventually provide resources to support practitioners yes ultimately um and also to perhaps find where we might collaborate to make research more robust so rather than sort of research projects happening in isolation that we could perhaps pull together mm. and start to look at similar measures or similar approaches to research. So we start to build build a picture um, that's a bit more joined up, really. Yes. So, yeah, and, and I guess because it's been growing so much over the last 20 years, really, I mean, before that, but... Um, but in more recent years, there's been a, a lot of interest in singing for health, and there are more and more programs, training programs, projects. Um, so it's really, you know, really growing. And, and alongside that, the social prescribing initiative is growing. So there's a there's a lot to do, I think, in terms of professionalising singing for health, and you know, giving it that's that place that it that it deserves because it's more than just singing. It's it's you know, there's a whole 
lot of work that goes into becoming a singing for health practitioner where you're holding people in a space and hopefully helping to improve their their health and well-being so um we're, we're running a session in a couple of weeks just in cornwall between singing practitioners and social prescribing link workers just to start to help them to understand each other a bit better and to see how it how it could work um and that's something that hopefully might roll out to other areas as well so yeah the network is is early days but it's really exciting we've got a facebook page yes um, and we'll be launching the network we do have a website but there's not very much on it at the moment but um we're hoping to launch later in the year and it will be a membership site yes and we hope to be able to offer things that aren't on offer elsewhere so it might be offering training but it also might be offering specific networking events for people that want to come together to discuss a particular theme or a particular research project so we will help to facilitate really what's needed so we'll be launching a a national survey in partnership with Canterbury Christchurch University so that's going to be going out in the next couple of weeks because we want to we want to really um, make sure that we're providing what people want and what they feel that they need yeah so um, we've put together some draft aims for the network and now we want to consult on that and find out what people really would like to get from a network and so from that we'll be building building the resources but um yeah the idea is to share practice to to make research more accessible and to provide opportunities for people to be able to connect with each other it's absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant and i just also really love the idea that you know anything that's got the word network in it where you think you think these things are going to spread and it's going to spread out and it will become something where people will know that there's a, a hub of information and they can go and tap into it and look at the bits they want to and it's just a brilliant initiative well done brilliant work thank you yeah it's nice to to see that new things are happening and that are also expanding into areas where services are needed these services are are needed for people especially with with pain management and and having to you know live with chronic pain and the fact that this could really have a massive transformation you know um result for the, the patients who get involved with these groups I think it's brilliant 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 uh-huh. <laughs> you know there might be someone at the other end of the country who who uh, is thinking about doing a, a group for perhaps people with fibromyalgia or something and and is this somewhere they can come to sort of learn a program of how to implement that where they live in their community something like that possibly yeah possibly yeah yeah or without wanting to replicate things that are already there so mm. um for example there's already uh, singing for parkinson's sing to beat parkinson's and uh, feeney's running her um, singing for lung health training now online they've both gone online so um so it's signposting and then also providing things that might not always be out there already filling those gaps and i'm personally really driven in terms of the trauma and mental health informed yes practice um and i'd like to develop that a little bit further as well that's wonderful thank you so much I I love it I love um, empowering seeing people grow seeing Mm. people actually them having light bulb moments when they realize that they can take control for themselves you know I'm I don't consider that I'm doing something to them I'm doing something with them and through that they're learning yes because hopefully I'm imparting some some helpful knowledge you know I I like people to understand why they're doing certain exercises 
yeah. why they're doing it so that they can really embody it mm. um, and do it for themselves. Uh, yeah. And so when you hear uh, like respiratory patients saying, I was able to walk to the top of Glastonbury Tour and I've wanted to do that for years because now I can manage my breath I can manage that better. I've got more confidence. I feel better in myself. And I did it. I walked to the top of Glastonbury Tour, which, you know, is is immense for this person. Absolutely. And, you know, for for somebody else to come in doing a little dance because their, their lung function test has stayed the same, where it should have decreased, it should have got worse. And for others, their lung function has improved. Yay. Seeing a woman who was so fearful that she wouldn't be able to get up off the floor and then she did it on her own mm. and she just couldn't believe that she could do it because her pain stops her from doing it and she just had the confidence to be able to say okay I will lie down on the floor but it means I've got to get up again and she did it and she got up and just that you see people growing yes you see them growing in front of your eyes um, and that's just that's that's the magic. I think. Yes, it is the magic. But don't underestimate the vessel that you are in facilitating that magic, because without you doing it, she wouldn't be get doing that. You know, so that's what I'm saying. You know, value your work is great and it's really helping people. Oh, well, thank you. I, I do. I do love it. And I, I just think, yeah, it's again, it just comes back to forming those relationships. Yeah. <laughs> helping people to feel safe and yeah and that's once you've got that then you can you can really start to help them that's when people just you know breaking down in in tears because they feel heard for the first time they feel validated they feel safe they feel recognized so vital absolutely brilliant thank you so much emily (laughs) thank you for joining me on the vocal freedom podcast I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.